0: Welcome back, so pleased to have you with me again or listening in for the first time ever, whether you found this podcast through Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or maybe you're a subscriber to the Intellectual Freedom Substack page, I'm just glad to have you here today because I think this great mind, this philosopher, and his teachings that we're going to study today are 100% relevant to you right now. And it can shape your perspective on life. This is the power of some of the teachings of Aristotle. He's our focus in this podcast, and we are going to deep dive into one of his greatest works, Nicomachean Ethics, and maybe one of the most important questions every human being has about life How do I find happiness? in this messed up, crazy world we live? I mean, really, this is one of the age-old questions, and this is the focus of this podcast as we study Aristotle. As I always do, just give me a few minutes to introduce how to maximize this experience. In the show notes, there's a link to the Intellectual Freedom Substack page. Subscribe to this, and you're going to get access to in-depth source materials about what we're talking about each week. This will allow you to study and read at a depth and level that I just can't go into in this podcast. And and let's be real, I I throw out my own ideas and my opinions. And you should validate, analyze for yourself too. But you're gonna get access to materials uh, to many of the greatest minds of all time in the genre of wisdom literature, because that's where we're that's where we're living right now in this podcast for, oh goodness, we're on like 13, 14 episodes now. And it's all free. Uh, you'll be able to email me directly also if you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas about the co- podcast. So it's right through the Intellectual Freedom Substack page. Check it out in the show notes. But now it's time for Aristotle. Aristotle, another of the great classic Greek philosophers. Feels like we've been in Greece a long time, and we have, because Greece considered the seed of Western philosophy. Uh, But Aristotle, he was born in 384 BCE, and he died 322 BCE. So he lived to be, oh, 62 years old, if my math is right. He was born into a pretty rich family. His dad was a doctor. And he was well connected in, in the social circles of the time. So Aristotle, though, at the age of 18, he decided to take off for Athens, make his own way from the, from the northern province that he grew up in, and he became a student of Plato at the Academy. Remember back to the, to the last episode, actually, on, and when we were talking about Plato in the Academy, it's often considered, at least in the West, to be... The quote unquote first university. But at any rate, Aristotle studied under Plato. And after finishing his studies, he traveled back north. And eventually, he was good enough, got enough attention, he became the tutor of Alexander the Great. Yes, the Alexander the Great, the same iconic figure that, oh, basically conquered the entire known world by the age of 28. Or so. So, yeah, Aristotle was his tutor. If that isn't impressive, uh, I don't know what is, but Aristotle had wide ranging intellectual interests and he studied everything from biology to physics to theology to logic and rhetoric, politics and history. I mean, he was just a voracious student who just studied and studied about anything. His curiosity on how things worked was almost insatiable. He just had that kind of mind. He was a, a true intellectual heavyweight of the highest order for sure. Unfortunately, many of his transcripts are lost. And, and what we have and what we study and what we mainly know about him are lecture notes that were kept by his students and colleagues. They were eventually put together They're pieced together and compiled by editors at a later date. But nonetheless, when you read the works of Aristotle, I know I'm amazed at his clarity of thought, which is not always the case with all the great minds that we're going to study in this uh, wisdom literature genre. But Aristotle, he was an empiricist, so he truly believed that observation was the key to knowledge. One huge advantage he had as the tutor to Alexander the Great was that Alexander provided Aristotle with a whole lot of slaves who he deployed then to help him collect data, observe natural phenomena, and aid him in his studies. You're not going to get a lot of fluffy abstract stuff from Aristotle. He was objective Factual, rational, very process or outcome driven, if we want to use like a modern business term in his philosophy. And and many admire him for that. I'm, I'm sure it's a reason many, especially in our scientific business world today, that, that many can still appreciate him. But Aristotle's followers were known as peripatetics, which in Greek means walkers or wanderers, because it's really interesting. So this is how Aristotle i uh, used to used to teach mainly he'd go walking through the gardens and he'd be talking and his students would just follow behind and somehow i get this vision in my mind of the great master pontificating in a garden of flowers and butterflies with a bunch of young scholars fully attentive listening and scribbling notes while he walked and he talked However, later in Aristotle's lives, things changed rather dramatically when Alexander the Great died a rather sudden and unceremonious death. The history of Alexander is is an impressive uh, thing to study in and of itself, but basically he left... No contingency planning. He left no fallback plan whatsoever. And after his death in 323, there was a very violent and swift anti-Macedonian fervor that swept across Greece. So Aristotle, being the former tutor of, of uh, Alexander, he fled Athens in fear of his life that he might get swept away in this wave. Uh, stating that he, quote, would not allow the Athenians who had executed Socrates to sin twice against philosophy. (laughs) At any rate, Aristotle died only one year later, even though he escaped all that anti-Macedonian fire that had enveloped most of the world. So how would I describe his philosophy beyond what I've already talked about? Well, I think adjectives like rigorous or sophisticated, they fit well, but if I had to use anything to describe his philosophical style, it's common sense. Aristotle perceived the world with a commonsensical approach to life. Now, I think it's safe to say that not many philosophers, especially our modern-day university-sheltered philosophy professors, would be described as common sense philosophers, if even we would call them philosophers at all. But, Aristotle uh, fits the bill of a common sense philosopher. He was a realist. I guess you could say he butted heads a bit with his, his former teacher, Plato, here. Who, despite his rational approach, and we talked about the rationality of Plato already, he still, at, the, at its core, he was a bit of an idealist. Plato thought that through the mind, the highest reaches of humanity could be reached. And if all of society would simply adopt sound thinking and exploration, society in general could break through the bonds that are shackling it down and solve the deepest and most profound problems of the world. Heck, he even tried to implement his philosophy into government at, at a couple points not even once, but twice abroad, and and he almost lost his life in the middle of political turmoil and fled back to Greece, especially Sicily, Uh, Aristotle didn't necessarily hold such grandiose idealism. Rather, what we see when we read Aristotle is very practical, straightforward, common-sense approaches that a person can put to work every day if they follow the teachings of Aristotle. He was, very, he was a very detailed student, though, and a very detailed thinker. Uh, he, he kept copious notes, and he studied very careful previous thinkers, and he provides his readers with a very broad survey of the ancient Greek tradition. He's often considered the major figure in the area of virtue ethics and living the right way, according to the Greeks. If you were wondering about the man, well, he was often described as moderate, gracious, humble, generous. He invested a whole lot of time and energy in writing about being a gentleman or having what is called, quote unquote, greatness of soul. This is pretty impressive, again, considering he was wealthy and he was around power at the highest level, as again, for goodness' sake, he was the personal tutor of Alexander the Great. He seems, for the most part, to have avoided extreme ego and hubris. Which, I mean, goodness, he was—he was around. Who was to become? the most powerful human in the world at the time. So he sort of, as far as tutors go, had some pretty impressive bragging rights if he wanted to use it, but he didn't, generally. Uh, But enough of the history of the man. Now as we go forward with the rest of this podcast, I want to transition quickly uh, to the main work that we're going to deep dive and it comes from the book Nicomachean Ethics. Most scholars do believe it was named after Aristotle's own son, Nicomachus. And in this book, if you read anything from Aristotle, I recommend starting here with Nicomachean Ethics. And inside that Substack page, I actually have a link to a 100% free online version you can grab a hold of and you can read it for free. Uh, because... In this book itself, it contains his central idea on ethics. Unlike Plato, Aristotle isn't out to outline that perfect society like I mentioned. Instead, what Aristotle focuses and hones in on is how people actually act. And he dives into observable human nature. There's that empiricist again. So, So here, the objective, the observable, the rational mind of Aristotle, we see it here versus last week when we were looking at Plato, who was more of the idealist. But to Aristotle, if you were to talk to him, to flourish as a human being, you and I must develop the praiseworthy characteristics that are seen in noble human beings. Not noble meaning rich or the title of nobility based on being born into some aristocratic family, but noble in mind and spirit. For Aristotle, these characteristics included honesty, fairness, generosity, and courage practiced in the right way for the right reasons. The right reasons. They're important, and we're going to get into that later, but to Aristotle, the highest moral good and the surest path to the best life is found in the cultivation and the continual improvement of individual talent, and this leads us to what we're going to really deep dive and was teased in the title of this podcast, How Can You Actually Be Happy?, I mean, really, can anyone anywhere take on a more age-old and complicated question in society, especially today? If you look online, you will see polls. And and I looked up for this podcast uh, what the happiness quotient is. And oh my gosh, it's scary out there. And, and I looked up just one to... to to cite it from the National Science Foundation, it found that only 14% of Americans from the United States are very happy. 14%! We're the most drugged up, angry, dissatisfied group of human beings that have been polled in America in a very long time. And by nearly every metric and study, we are the most unhappy and unhealthy we have ever been. So I think maybe we should have a look at what one of the greatest philosophical minds and what he has to say about happiness. I mean, it surely can't hurt, can it? And definitely it has a whole lot less side effects than popping some Paxil or Zoloft. Uh, So let's go into it. Book number one of Nicomachean Ethics. In this first book, we get a breakdown and an exploration and ultimately a conclusion about how each of us in our own lives can be happy. I hope in this exploration of Aristotle we can make clear a pretty intellectual argument, so let's get going. Aristotle believed that there were three levels of happiness, and each level went progressively deeper and was more sophisticated and more fulfilling for the long term. To Aristotle... This number one, this lowest level, or this primary level of happiness is where the bulk of humanity lives and where the bulk of humanity spend most, if not all, their lives. And this category is known as pleasure seekers. Probably not too surprising, really, that the bulk of society has been trained by marketing, by media, by culturalization, by consumerism, to believe that pleasure or a lack of duties and responsibilities, kicking back, enjoying things as they come, is the kind of life they want to lead. People in the midst of the busy hustle and bustle of work and family and obligations, they dream of that day where they can just kick back and relax. People count down months and months to their one week vacation. I mean, to Aristotle, pleasure seeking is the primary level of happiness. It only stands to reason we all can, can appreciate this pleasure seeking thing in our minds. So in this realm, though, what do we, what, what was Aristotle really talking about here? Well, in this realm, uh, people seek sensual gratification, frivolous amusement just for the heck of it. They indulge in food or drink or other external sources of delight, uh, even drugs. Or maybe it's a, maybe their thing is material pleasures, like shopping, a new car, a new house, a dream vacation, enough money to just retire to a golf course or a beach. I mean, you could insert whatever source of delight, whatever form of materialism, whatever form of fun or joy fits you and your personality best. And I bet if someone said, what would it take for you to be happy? Most people would probably say some amount of X amount of money, X amount of things, X amount of whatever. And they would probably fall into this vision of a life of pleasure and leisure. Everybody's going to be a little bit different, but you get the point. Aristotle found that the pleasure seeker was the lowest and the least fulfilling form of happiness. But why? But why? I mean, this level is really what most people think about when they envision, quote unquote, being happy. Now, let's be clear. It isn't that pleasure in and of itself is a bad thing. I mean, even Aristotle wouldn't find harm or shame in good drink, good food, a fun night out doing nothing with friends, family, or loved ones now and again. But uh, to, to Aristotle, there's a big problem if you spend your entire existence here and, and your whole drive for living here. And many sadly do. The problem arises when a lifestyle in search of ease and simple, empty pleasure becomes that driver of everything you do, and you perceive that in and of itself is happiness. Easy and simple rarely, if ever, leads us to any kind of a deep satisfaction or happiness. Actually, let me modify this thought and be a bit more bold. Easy and simple will never lead you to a deep, profound sense of accomplishment or happiness. I mean, think of it. Never, ever in your life, is the thing you're most proud of, did it come to you easy and simple and without work? Never. It doesn't work that way, right? Think about it. If I could tell you, okay, I'm just going to give you $100,000 a month for the rest of your life. Why not? A, a, a beach house in the Caribbean, unlimited amount of rum, beer, your favorite spirit, and and your job from now forward is, well, uh just have fun and be happy, relax, just enjoy life. My guess is you, and and me too, oh for about a week or so, maybe a little bit longer, uh, would be living it up. We would think we just hit the lottery. Heck, we would probably fly down as many friends and family and treat them to all the festivities, take them out to eat, party, buy them clothes, take them shopping, etc., etc. But what but, but, but would you suppose would happen to you after maybe two weeks or four weeks or three months, a year, five years, ten years, Do you think you would still be the same fulfilled and happy doing the same old things? My guess is I doubt it. I know myself. I mean, I love to go on vacation, but after a week or two, my goodness, I'm itching to get back home and get back at it. Or another analogy, maybe like when you... You, if you've ever owned a brand new car, not someone else's car and you got a used car, but I mean like a brand new car. I mean, that new car smell is intoxicating. Oh, the feel of those leather seats, the sound, the comfort. I mean, ooh, it feels oh so good. You want to be seen in that machine when you park in the parking lot and get out of that car. But that same vehicle three years later, Floor mats dirty, coffee stains, kids thrown up on the back seat, uh, upholstery's messed up. That initial happiness it fades, and in a few years that car is just a piece of metal with four wheels that provides transportation from A to B. This is why pleasure-seeking life is the lowest level. It doesn't sustain. It doesn't fulfill for the long run. It isn't enough. Humans in many ways, I guess you could almost say, we're kind of like sled dogs. We need something to pull against. And, And when we don't seek it or get it, well, we get fat, we get bored, we get lazy, we get annoyed, we get angry, we get anxious. Any of that sort of thing going around the United States of America today? Uh, That was actually a rhetorical question. Obviously, the answer is a resounding yes. We're soft. We're materially soft. Could it be, could it be, just throwing it out there, that the reason you are not happy right now is not that you don't have enough stuff, It's that you're too soft and you're too comfortable. Could it be you need to challenge yourself with something hard? Maybe even a bit painful. Maybe a bit outside your comfort zone. Maybe just maybe what you need is not to seek comfort, but to seek an adventure, a challenge, or a hard task, a really hard task. You need that kind of activity. Aristotle would say, hell yes. You need to not seek comfort every second of every day, as that will not, and it cannot make you happy for the long run. But yet in this country, we have people chasing that comfort over and over again, but it doesn't work, period, end of story. Well, that sort of blows up society's perception of happiness, So if the pleasure-seeking life isn't enough, then Aristotle, will you please tell me what would make us happy? Aristotle's second level of happiness is called the political life. Now before you say, oh, no, 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 I get more than enough politics, thank you very much, Uh, well, we need to understand a little bit about what Aristotle is referring to when he labels this second level the political life as being better than pleasure-seeking. And it sure as heck isn't joining the Republican or Democratic parties in America. This podcast, uh, we're talking about Aristotle, we are seeking happiness, not shame, embarrassment, and cynicism. Uh, Oops, sorry for the slap at our two-party system in America, but I digress. So, back to it. Remember, In the age of Aristotle, democracy was this budding new concept. And there was a lot of hype and a lot of hope and a lot of idealism around this new toy. And when Aristotle speaks of the political life and the life of a politician, he means it more in its purest form, not necessarily our current form. And that is a life dedicated not to the self, but to the members of society the politician serves. For Aristotle, during this time, the politician is good and obedient to the laws, and he's putting his own self-interest below the interests of the people. So the political life, in a generalized modern way, is a life of service. So if you engage in activities of making life better for others it's a form of a virtuous activity according to Aristotle. This has an utmost god an almost, almost godlike quality to it which Aristotle finds deeply pleasurable and, and is actually a potential avenue to find true happiness. So for example if you're a nurse Serving a dying patient, a teacher, helping a child to learn, a shoemaker, making an amazing pair of shoes that someone's going to be happy walking in, a construction person, building a house for a family, a stay-at-home mom, raising children, or heck, any parent for that matter, raising their kids and giving the best of themselves for someone else. This is a life of service. This is a selfless act of giving that will allow you to transcend the temporary joys of a new car or money or a night out on the town drinking, like the life of a pleasure seeker. Service and giving is the cornerstone of the political life. Again, Do not confuse those cockroach politicians in the Democrat or Republican Party blathering on and on about how evil the other side is and how great they are. This is not the political life Aristotle was referring. The utter collapse of ethics and morality and, well, basic human decency we see in our current brood of politicians is about as far away from Aristotle's concept of the political life. I hate to even mention them in the same breath. Breath, but, but anyway, I think you get the point. Because as Aristotle, that political life of service, and as he continues to analyze that, there's one glaring weakness that he notices in human beings that prevents the political life from being the highest level of happiness. Again, it's better than the pleasure sequel, which is the lowest level, but the political life has a problem. And as he as he goes on to analyze it, the enemy and the potential cause of decay in the political life is pride. Now, the Greeks were big on that being like the greatest of sin's pride. and if if you've ever read any of the of the Greek tragedies, uh, you see pride almost always leads to the downfall. but But when I say pride, we could call it arrogance, we could call it ego, we could call it extreme self-adoration or whatever. But the fact is that what can and often does happen to many people is that their life of service can, potentially, if a person is not careful they can confuse or conflate their giving spirit into a desire to seek personal honor and prestige. Aristotle warns that it can really sneak up on someone who initially had very good intentions but gets corrupted or off track. I I don't doubt that many aspiring politicians, whether they be Democrat or Republican, they they truly believe when they when they enter or, or are considering entering into politics that they want to serve the people to make the make the country better. I I don't I don't begrudge that every single politician wants to be a lying, scamming con artist when they get there and become a demagogue. But but then they get to Washington, DC with those great intentions. Let's say they were one of of True ethical moral intentions, and they get to DC, they see how the system works, and slowly over time they get corrupted and fall. Or let me give you another example. I don't want to overgeneralize people or things, I mean, there's always good people in everything all the time, but I mean, I think this is a this this example works, and 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 I don't want to call out any individual people with fame, uh, but. How many times do we see stories about the grandiose amount of giving by millionaires and billionaires that they have to publicly announce their massive giving amounts and then they're given this title of philanthropist? And they make certain that the media is present, especially like music or movie stars, when they go and visit a child who's dying of cancer in a hospital ward. I mean, let's face it. Social validation and praise can become like other external pleasures, like sex or a drug or lots of money. Praise and adoration, it can be intoxicating. It, it, it can be addicting. And, and once this takes hold of a person... Um, and they're no longer serving for the sake of serving, but rather for their own personal glad- gratification and glory that others are throwing on them. To Aristotle, that's bad. But think again of our dear politicians, once again, in our modern world. And by now, I'm sure you have a pretty strong sense of my feeling on the, on the two-party system, but, but these politicians who tout they're serving the people but in fact are doing nothing of the sort and and serving their political party and their masters and their and their uh donors and and the lobbyists etc cetera, etc cetera, and and hold them out as hold themselves out as some paragons of virtue i mean if you ever see a state funeral oh my goodness and and again it's terrible when anybody dies but and so I'm not going to call anybody out by name, but I mean, you know, they, they serve for decades, they die. And my goodness gracious, it, it takes them three weeks to put that body in the ground. By the time all the parades and the parading of the body across D.C. and the 5,000 speeches about how grand and great and wonderful they were in quote-unquote serving the nation, Aristotle would recoil in horror at this. And if he saw one of these state funerals in the United States, he'd probably feel completely validated in his concept of the political life that it cannot be and could never be the highest form of happiness because, in fact, the political life fails. So, once a life of service becomes tied to personal honor and prestige and ego, then no longer... Can service be a path to deep and lasting happiness? Plus, for Aristotle, in this decaying state of service, the search for honor and prestige, social media credit in our, in our modern uh, terms, gaining this type of honor depends on, and get this, what others may bestow upon the person. It's no longer self-created nor controlled. See, a life of service where you're truly and honestly dedicated to giving to someone else because you want to give to somebody else, you control that. But once it degrades, no longer are you in control. You need to be seen. You need to be heard. You need the claps. You need the adoration. You need the likes. You need the thumbs up. You need all that. You need others to bestow it upon you. And that is horrifically bad. Thus, it isn't a path to the highest level of happiness. And we have to go one level deeper, deeper, one more level to the ultimate form of happiness. And drumroll, please, here it is. If you, in your life, want to be truly happy, starting today, according to Aristotle, you need to live the contemplative life the contemplative life. Here's what Aristotle says in Nicomachean Ethics. Quote, If activities are, as we said, what gives life its character, no happy man can become miserable. For he will never do the acts that are hateful and mean. For the man who is truly good and wise, we think, bears all the chances life becomingly and always makes the best of circumstances. As a good general makes the best military use of the army at his command. And a good shoemaker makes the best shoes out of the hides that are given him. And so with all other craftsmen. And if this is the case, the happy man can never become miserable. The happy man can never become miserable. And you may be thinking, ugh, that So the answer is being active or working. That sounds terrible, anticlimactic, not profound, nor fun. (laughs) And and you're right on the surface. But here's the mindset of Aristotle, of why this works and why it matters so much and why you should pay attention and consider his teaching. So first of all, Notice that the important thing is not what you do. The important thing is you do it with passion. I know you hear it from YouTube motivational speakers all the time. They're a dime a dozen. But what you do, you need to do it at 100% with passion. Because if what you do is done with passion and love and energy, then even when bad things happen in life, which they will, then you rely on nobody for happiness. Because you're living out your passion internally. You are controlling it. See in the pleasure seeking life. You're re- you're you're relying on material superficial things. And they are temporary. They're going to go away eventually. One way or another they're going away. Uh, the political life. You're relying on adoration and love. And, and recognition. And, and that can go away at a heartbeat. But when you're living out this life. When you're living out the contemplative life, it's all internal. Well, you may say, oh, sounds great, Aristotle. Sounds great. But I have no idea what my true passion is. I'm not living my true passion right now. And I literally don't have any way, I I don't know how to get it either. Well then, I would say, and probably Aristotle would say to you, well then you got some work to do to figure it out. But hey, until you figure it out, no matter what you do, whether it's school or a part-time job or helping a friend move to a new apartment, you need to do it 100% to the very best of your ability all the time. Yeah, all the time. Even if you're not quote-unquote living your own personal dream and you hate your job or you're in college and you're tired of it and you're studying to get that job. What you need to do is right now today is you need to do your utmost best always to the very, very best of your ability. See, to Aristotle, here's the key. The truest form of happiness comes internally from you. Just doing the activity is the key. Just doing the activity. Because if you're living your life with passion, doing the best within you, then in a sense, you become bulletproof. You become bulletproof from all the stuff that happens in life and society. And you're not relying on anyone or anything for validation or happiness You literally need zero social validation because you in your life are doing your very best and then and only then are you reaching the highest form of happiness. Pleasure seekers are reliant on stuff, food, drink, cars, friends, family, parties, money. The political life is dependent on validation, praise, honor from others. The contemplative life is 100% internal. Because you find your life's passion and you walk it out every single day. Nobody can take it away from you because it's internal and you are in control. This is the best and, well, the only way in this crazy messed up world we live, the only way to truly and ultimately be happy. So really find that thing that you are most passionate about, pursue it, and then do it. Could that thing change in different seasons of your life? Well, I suppose so. For some, I think so. I think that's true. For others, their entire life can be sent in pursuit of one thing and one activity, and and that surely was the life of Aristotle. He was a philosopher and a teacher his entire life, but hey, that doesn't have to be you. The key is to find that thing that you love to do, no matter what, and do it. But even if you don't know what that thing is right now, well, you have some work to figure out. And you see, Aristotle would probably agree. It may take 20, 30, 50 years to figure out. But whatever, in the end, none of that even really matters. Just pursue whatever activity you are doing in life with passion and and daily do those activities that move you towards that sweet spot. Then when you get there, you will be happy. But hey, and and here's the good news for all of us. But no matter where you are at in finding that thing, whatever activity you do, take it on and do it honestly, ethically, morally to the highest ability you have within you. And you will find happiness just in that activity and just in that pursuit. Because if you're always doing your best, whether you're just cleaning your room or helping your spouse or... I don't know, studying for a test or a part-time job, whatever it is, just do it the best you can do it. And in that activity, as you push yourself to the best, you find happiness and contentment in completing the task. Wow, that was quite a journey. And I hope you enjoyed our talk I mean, really, only scratched the surface. So if you enjoyed our discussion, to the Substack page and check out the free resource. But happiness, think about that. Think deeply about what he says. We're always thinking that happiness is external. Whether it's a thing, a material thing, or whether it's some sort of a social validation. And Aristotle tells you, tells you very clearly those things will fail. It's a guarantee. Life is hard. People will disappoint you. Things won't work out the way you want them to. So internally, what can you do guaranteed every single day is whatever you're doing at that moment, that activity, do it at the highest level you can. These tech just need the boost.